is from Act 24, the verses 1 to 27, which is the whole chapter. So Act 24, verses 1 to 27. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought among about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this profound gratitude, but in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews and all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By exam examining himself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge of this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone in the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove you, to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors and a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state that crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about the faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now, you may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, 
so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Well, it's great to be here again. Uh, uh, can I wish you a, a happy Reformation Sunday? Did you know it was Reformation Sunday, this Sunday? <laughs> was it 506 years, I think, ago the Reformation took place? And that's our heritage. <clears throat> that's what we celebrate down in Hobart. There's a joint service. Uh, three of our Prezi churches are joining together this morning to uh, celebrate the Reformation, the doctrines of grace. By grace, we've been saved. So, happy Reformation Day, oh, Sunday anyway. The day itself is the 31st. <laughs> uh, it's good to be here again, and uh, it's lovely to, uh, you know, sorry, I mustn't uh, go off at tangents, but <clears throat> to hear that your kids' program is called Le Little Leaves, is it, or Leaf? That's great, isn't it? The branch, leaf, have you got a group for twigs, or yes. have you got a kind of buddy, kind of mentorship thing happening as well? <laughs> When we, when we planted Cornerstone 20 odd years ago, we, uh, Cornerstone then, the kids, uh, kids' book was called Corner Pebble, still called Corner Pebble. It's really corny, isn't it? <laughs> and then the, the youth work was called The Quarry. <laughs> so I can see there's a theme going there. And uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, that's by the way. Uh, I want to take you into that chapter we've just read. We're not going to look at the whole chapter. We're not going to um, look at every detail in the chapter. But... Um, I want to start by asking you a question. We're going to look especially at the end of the chapter. But I want to start by asking you a question. What is the busiest day in your week? If you're anything like me, it's probably tomorrow. It's always tomorrow, isn't it? Because tomorrow is the day when you're going to do all those things that you never got around to doing. But tomorrow never comes. That's the problem. Uh, my daughter sent me... Uh, uh, something from Facebook uh, recently. I'm not sure if she was aiming it at me or at her husband. Yeah, it's an old joke. You know, ladies, if a man says he will fix it, he will. There's no need to remind him every six months about it. <laughs> I get down to it one of these days, we say, don't we? But one of these days becomes none of these days, and it never happens. And that's what Felix was doing with the gospel. He procrastinated. That's the fancy word for it. It means to put off to tomorrow what ought to be done today. So look with me at these verses in... Uh, that's not working, is it? <laughs> Let's forget about this, shall we? Oh, it is. Can you read that? No, let's not, let's not worry about this. I get... You, should, you shouldn't preach with kids or with technology, so I'll put this down. I'll turn it off, shall I? Should I just turn it off? Or? Sorry? You'll turn it off? Okay, great. Sorry. I should have, should have learned by now not to do that. Okay, so I'm asking you the question, uh, uh, what is the most, the busiest day in your week? And, um, and it's tomorrow, and tomorrow never comes, and... Uh, Felix is procrastinating. He's putting off to tomorrow what needs to be done today. That's the fancy word for it. So look with me at those verses there. At the end of chapter 24, I'll read them to you now. 
uh, after some days, we're told, Felix sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. It's not convenient right now. Now, that's what a lot of people do with the gospel. They don't reject it outright. They just never get round to considering it properly. That may be you, perhaps. I mean, Felix was under the gospel for two years. He kept, he kept listening to the Apostle Paul, the greatest preacher of all time. But he never got round to doing anything about what he was hearing. Maybe it's someone you know. Of course, not everybody has that advantage, the advantage that Felix had. He, he had Paul as his private chaplain. Paul was in his custody for two whole years, according to verse 27. He had the gospel explained to him repeatedly by probably the best gospel preacher of all time. And if he didn't understand something, he could press the replay button which he, apparently he did frequently. According to verse 26, he sent for Paul frequently and talked with him about these things. And yet all of that time, over those two years, he kept stalling and stalling and stalling. He kept putting it off and putting it off. He kept saying, tomorrow. But tomorrow never came for Felix. He kept saying to himself, when I have a more convenient moment, but there is no more convenient moment than right now. Right now is all you've got, for sure. Someone said, it's a bit corny, but someone has said, the past is history, the future is mystery, the present is a gift, that's why we call it the present. It's a bit corny, isn't it? it, but, it but there's some truth in that. It, it's God's gift to us, this present moment. These present moments as we sit here under the word of God, it's a gift to us from God. And these next 25 minutes, maybe 30, uh, could be the most important and the most life-changing minutes of your life. Because we're sitting under God's word. And we're wanting and expecting and praying that God will speak to us through his word. And there's nothing more important than that, is there? So I want you to uh, consider with me three things about Felix. Uh, the man that he was, the mistake that he made, and the message that he missed. First of all, let me tell you a little bit more about this man. His name is Felix. I don't know if there are any Felixes, Felixes present here this morning. Um, it's usually a name that you give to your cat. Uh, <laughs> most of us have to live with the name that we've been given, whether we like it or not. But this man had chosen this name for himself. It wasn't it the name that he was born with? He was a slave who had gained his freedom. And when a slave managed to do that, when a slave became a free man, he usually took a new name. And so he called himself Felix, which is a good name. When you consider, I mean, Felix means happy. That's a good choice, you'd think, for an ex-slave. But actually, he wasn't a very happy man as we'll find out as we go through this passage. And it's often like that, isn't it? Uh, sometimes those who appear to be outwardly the life and soul of the party 
can often be the saddest of people on the inside. It can be a bit of a front sometimes, can't it? Outwardly jovial, inwardly sad, like the British comedian Tony Hancock. Probably none of you remember Tony Hancock. You're all too young for that. The blood donor, do you remember the blood donor? Yeah, some of you do, that's good. <laughs> he, was one of the, he was a great uh, comedian. British, you can't beat in British comedy, can you? And, uh, but he died in Sydney. He committed suicide in Sydney back in 1968. His friend Spike Milligan said of him, one by one, he shut the door on all the people he knew. Then he shut the door on himself. He made thousands, thousands, generations of people laugh, but he was sad, sad inside. So what kind of a man was Felix? His name means happy, but I don't think he was a particularly happy chappy. We know him as Felix the procrastinator, that's what I'm going to call him this morning. Uh, but secular history knows him as Felix the procurator. He was the procurator of Palestine. He was the Roman governor of Palestine. He was a successor to Pontius Pilate. So he knew all about Jesus. Of course he did. He'd been, he hadn't been living on a desert island. He didn't come down in the latest rainstorm. Verse 22 tells us he was well acquainted with the way. That's an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? Apparently, this was the earliest description of the followers of Jesus. Before they were called Christians, they were called followers of the way. And it seems that uh, this man, Felix, was well acquainted with the followers of the way. He was well acquainted with the way of salvation. He'd, he'd been properly briefed. No, no doubt he, he, uh, he received daily intelligence reports about the progress of the gospel. Because it's all happening during his time in Palestine. By now the church would have grown to tens of thousands in Jerusalem. It couldn't be ignored. And of course as, as procurator of Palestine, he would have access to the official records of the crucifixion and the empty tomb. These things were not done in a corner, uh, Paul tells his successor. Festus in the next chapter. These things were not done in a quarter, in a corner. It's all on the public record. It's all in the public domain. And as procurator of Palestine, of course, he was responsible for keeping the peace, for law and order. But according to the Jewish historian Joseph, Josephus, he was the worst ruler that Judea ever had. Cruel. Corrupt, greedy, lascivious. Eventually he was summoned to Rome. He nearly escaped with his life because he had friends in high places. Eventually he was summoned to Rome to answer for his crimes against humanity. Even his superiors were shocked by his cruelty and corruption. Tacitus, the Roman historian, says about him, he exercised the power of a king with the mind of a slave. There was nothing princely about him. There was nothing to respect, nothing to look up to. He had power, absolute power. He wielded the power of a, of a king with the mind of a slave. He didn't live up to his name. Felix was not a happy chappy. Well, so much for Felix the procurator. Now let's look at Felix the procrastinator because that's, that, was, that's, that was his undoing. That was the mistake. 
his big mistake, and that's my second point, the mistake that he made. Look at verse 25. Remember, he's got Paul, and he can summon him at any time. He's listening to the greatest preacher, the greatest evangelist that the world's ever known. And we're told in verse 25, as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. That's crazy, isn't it? Felix is the one with all the power. Paul is a prisoner in chains, and yet when Paul preached, Felix trembled. That's the most hopeful thing we can say about him. Bad as he was, Felix still had a conscience which was somewhat in working order. Your conscience is your best friend, do you know, as you sit under the word week by week. Kids, young people, as you grow up in church under the word of God, your conscience is your best friend. Give your conscience work to do when you hear sermons. Don't just let them go over your head. Don't just be a hearer of the word. Like Felix, two years just listening, listening, listening. But never doing anything about it. Instead of listening to the voice of his conscience, he stifles it again and again and again. Until it's silenced altogether. See, that's the biggest mistake you could ever make as you sit under the word of God. It's a fatal mistake to go against your conscience. If God convicts you about something under the preaching of the word, you, you don't play games with your conscience. Don't violate your conscience. You need work to do. Felix trembled. I, I wish sometimes, you know, you, sometimes you go to churches and you preach a sermon and people just yawn. <laughs> Felix trembled. I mean, Paul was a great preacher. I don't think he was that eloquent. He wasn't much of an orator by all accounts, so he says himself. But, but when he preached, he was, his preaching was attended by the Holy Spirit and, and, and Felix trembled. But he didn't turn. As Paul explained the fact of the gospel to him and reasoned with him and pleaded with him, he trembled, but he didn't trust in Jesus as his saviour. He's clearly convicted, but he's not converted. We're told in verse 22 that he was well acquainted with the way. That's how the early Christians preached Christ as the true and living way. I am the way, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father except through me. That was the message. That was the way the early Christians preached Christ as the true and living way, as the only way for people to get right with God. And Felix was well acquainted with that message, we're told. You've grown up with it if you've grown up in this church. If you come here week by week, that's the message that this church, church, church stands for. That's what we preach. That's what we believe, isn't it? He was well acquainted with the way of salvation, but he never set out on that way. And the question I want to ask is this, why? What stopped him? Why did he never do what his conscience is screaming at him to do? After all, when the truth is so loud and clear, it makes you tremble. There must be some powerful reasons why you don't follow it through. 
What are they? What's keeping this man from Christ? Well, I want to suggest there are three things from the passage itself, three reasons that stand out. Uh, Money, sex, and power. That's a very familiar trio of uh, traps that Christians fall into and people fall into. Reason number one is money. You know, the most uh, misquoted verse in the Bible, of course, is uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, money is the root of all evil. No, that's not what it says, is it? It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Money is neutral. You can have lots of money, you can have no money at all. It's not money. It's your attitude towards money. The love of money is the root of all evil. And, and you see, the problem with Felix was not that he had money, and he, he would have been loaded. It, not that he had money, but that money had him. How do I know that? Well, look at verse uh, 26. See what it says there? He was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. He, he knew, you see, that Paul was carrying a huge sum of money with him for the, re, for the relief of the poor. Uh, Paul had let that slip in verse 17. He said during his defense there, I came up to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor. And when Felix heard that, it registered like a cash register in his brain. There were dollar signs in his eyes. <laughs> and so he kept an innocent man in prison for two years and denied him justice, hoping to make money out of him. Even though he was a very rich man, he still wanted that little bit more. And he's willing to sacrifice his soul. He's willing to sacrifice everything for that little bit more, for a bribe. How many have stifled their consciences and lost their souls for the love of money? See, it's not how much you've got or haven't got. It's your attitude towards it. Think of Judas Iscariot, for example who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Do you know, that's not very much money. Really, it's just a, probably a few dollars, about 20 or 30 dollars at most. Surely he didn't do it for the money, did he? Yes, he did. John tells us so, doesn't he? In his gospel. John tells us that he was the treasurer of the twelve, and as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He had this, it wasn't just a one-off thing. It wasn't, it wasn't just a panic thing to strike a deal with the authorities. No, he was a greedy, covetous man. He used to help himself to what was put in the money bag. That was his besetting sin. That was his undoing, greed. Oh, he could listen to Paul preach, and he could admire Paul's preaching, and he could be moved by Paul's preaching, but all the time, greed had taken hold of him. He was a thief with his hand in the till. That's what destroyed him in the end. Oh, I know it says uh, that the devil got into him, but the devil needs a point of entry. And this was it. The love of money might be something different for you. But that's how the devil got into him and destroyed him. That's what destroyed him, this, this greed. It just kept eating away and eating at him and, and, and brought him down to hell in the end. 
It's a subtle danger. John Bunyan, in his book, The Holy War, speaks of Diabolus sending traitors into the town of Mansoul. And among the others, he sent one called Covetousness, who takes the name Mr. Prudent Thrifty and lodges in the house of Mr. Conscience. It's a very subtle danger. So that's reason number one. He was looking for a bribe. It's, we're told that there. He was looking for a bribe. That's why he kept listening to Paul. That's why he kept him on remand. That's why he kept sending for him. Oh, yes, he was moved and challenged and convicted by the preaching, but he was a greedy man. Reason number two is right there by his side. Her name is Drusilla. But we're told in verse 24 that she was his wife, but in fact she was someone else's wife. And Felix has stolen her for himself. Apparently he had three wives, and two of them were called Drusilla. Just imagine how confusing that would have been. <laughs> and Felix's third wife, Drusilla, was a Jewish princess. She was the sister of King Agrippa II, who you read about in the next chapter. And she was another man's wife. She was the sister of King Agrippa, and she was someone else's wife. It was quite a coup, of course, for a, for a jumped-up slave to marry a princess. It was, it, it was a royal scandal. The rumors as to how she came to be Felix's wife would, would enliven the gossip columns of any society magazine. Everybody knew about it. He had lusted after another man's wife, and he'd taken her for himself. Drusilla was, to Felix, the forbidden fruit. She was, by all accounts, extremely attractive, but she was married to someone else. But don't let that stop you. If you want something badly enough, just go for it, and to hell with the consequences. Isn't that the uh, smash and grab mentality of today? Isn't that the plot line of so many of those soap operas that are on TV every night of the week? Isn't that how we entertain ourselves and educate our kids with that trash. Who cares about right and wrong and self-control and judgment to come? I want it. I want it now. My, my daughter's first words, she's, she's got four kids of her own now. Uh, and uh, her first, actually her first word, this is typical, she, she, I have two boys and a girl. My oldest boy's first word was the Welsh word for aeroplane, a wirren. And my second son, my second boy's, uh, my second child's first word was Concord. We lived in London under a flight path and they loved planes. My daughter's word, first words, was a, it was a sentence actually, she said, I want that. <laughs> It's Christmas time, and she was looking at these catalogues. She said, I want that, I want that. She kept saying, I want that. And we tried to, to be, you know, we tried to say, now, Angharad, what do you mean? I, what do you say? I want that. Hoping she'd say, please. But she said, I want that now. <laughs> <laughs> Why wait? <clears throat> if you want it, go for it. Smash into the family circle. Break up marriages. Ruin children's lives. Don't let a preacher spoil your fun. Don't let your Christian upbringing and background cramp your style. Go away, preacher. Come again another day. 
I'm enjoying myself right now. I'm not prepared to change my lifestyle to suit your message. It's not convenient right now. Later on, perhaps, but no, not, not right now. That's reason number two. It's what the Bible calls the pleasure of sin. That's why people can sit in church and be moved by sermons and still be unconverted because of the pleasure. Of, there is pleasure in sin. There is pleasure in living your own life selfishly, independently of God, doing your own thing. But it's only for a season, the Bible says. There's pleasure in sin for a season. But, says the, the psalmist, at God's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Who is at God's right hand? Jesus is at God's right hand. And in him, we, in him there are solid joys and lasting pleasures. But Felix doesn't want Jesus. He wants Drusilla. What do you want instead of Jesus in your life? What idol are you falling down to worship? Nineteen years later, Drusilla was shopping with his son in Pompeii when Vesuvius erupted. The love of money, the pleasure of sin. And here's reason number three. The fear of man or, or the love of power. Look at verse 27. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Do you see? He's a man pleaser. He doesn't really care what God thinks. But he's got his eye on the voters. <laughs> he's desperate to keep his job. He's totally indifferent to the legitimate claims of Almighty God on his life. He shrugs them off. And yet here he is, kind of bowing and scraping and fawning to public opinion. Why? Because he wants to keep his job. That's why. And in order to keep his job, he's got to keep the Jews on side. Trouble with the Jews meant trouble with his bosses in Rome, and that would interfere with his prospects of promotion. So wanting to grant a favor to the Jews, we're told, he left Paul in prison. And he kept listening to him, but not kept hearing the word, but never doing it. It's definitely not in his interest to, dis to, to, to dismiss this case and let Paul go free. Even though it's, if you read through the chapter, if you read the transcript of the trial, it's very clear that he's, Paul is innocent of all the charges that they brought against him, and everybody knows that. But rather than let Paul go free, he leaves him in prison for two years, desperately clinging to power. And he does so just to curry favor with the Jews, and he's totally unconcerned about the favor of God. And if you care more for what people think, what your friends on Facebook think, or what uh, you know, your colleagues at work think about you, if you, th if you care more about that, about the smiles of men and women, than you do about the, the smile of God on your life, if you care more about that, then you care about what God is actually saying to you through his word. Week by week, when the Bible is opened and the word is preached, God is speaking to you. If you care more for what people think and what people will say than what God is actually saying to you, 
then, you, then you're in real danger of violating your conscience. And so he pro postpones the vital decision. He procrastinates. He, he puts off to tomorrow what must be done today. And, and he's lost it because, you see, what Felix failed to understand and what lots of people fail to understand is this. Not to decide is, in fact, to decide. Jesus said, he who is not for me is against me. And you wouldn't want to die in that state, would you? Against Jesus. If you are not for Jesus right now, fully committed to him, living your life for him, willing to die for him, if you are not for him, Jesus says, he who is not for me is actually against me. You've already, you've already made a decision, haven't you? You cannot ultimately be neutral about Jesus Christ. Now, let me show you why as, as I close. It's, it's, it's all here in the message that was preached to him. We, we've looked at the man that he was, and I hope we've learned something about the mistake that he made. Now, let me close uh, as I speak to you about the message that he missed. You've got a summary of it there in verse 24. What did Paul speak to Felix about? What was his theme? Well, it, it says there in verse 20, 24 quite clearly, it was faith, faith in Jesus Christ. He, he spoke about people putting their trust in Jesus Christ. And as he spoke, do you notice, he gave reasons why people should do that. Faith in Jesus Christ is his theme. And this is how he applies it to Felix's conscience. Do you see what he's doing? He's pressing home the lifestyle implications of the Christian faith. Yeah, it's not just simply, you know, uh, intellectual assent to certain ideas. There's much more to it than that. Faith comes, uh, and the, the, it comes, the, 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 it comes with repentance. Faith and repentance, they come together. They're two sides of the same coin. You cannot have faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot turn to him and trust in him without turning away from your sin. Spurgeon used to say that uh, repentance is the tear in the eye of faith. As you look to Jesus, you trust in Jesus, so your heart is broken because of your sin. And, and, and as, as Paul preached to, uh, uh, to, um, to Felix, he, he, didn't, he didn't sort of, it wasn't just... Uh, you know, come to the front, say the sinner's prayer, and hey, presto, you're a Christian. No, it wasn't like that. As he preached, as he, as he pleaded and persuaded uh, Felix to put his trust in Jesus, he gave reasons why he should. He reasoned with him about righteousness and self-control and judgment to come. That's just what Felix needed to hear, isn't it? He must have been squirming in his seat. He, he needed to be told right from wrong. He needed to be challenged about his lifestyle. There is a right and there is a wrong, and your conscience knows that. And even in this day and age when people have thrown out absolutes, there are still things that we instinctively know are wrong. Isn't that right? He was governor of Palestine. He couldn't govern himself. He was the judge of others, and he needed to know that there was a day coming when the judge was going to be judged. I, I love that story. Since, since it's Reformation Sunday, I'll tell this story. You've probably heard it before. I love the story about Hugh Latimer. 
the Reformation in, in England was, um, it, it was far from perfect. It was sort of a bit of a, a compromise in some ways, but there were some great uh, godly reformers that were thrown up during the, that time of upheaval under the reign of Henry VIII. And one of them was a guy by the name of Hugh Latimer. And he was summoned to preach before Henry VIII. And uh, he chose as his text, whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. <laughs> was he crazy? <coughs> Fancy choosing that verse to preach on before Henry VIII. Hmm. Of course, Henry VIII was livid. He was furious. He stormed out of the, out of the chapel. And you'd think, well, that's the end of Hugh Latimer. Certainly the end of his career, if not the end of his life. Those were bloody times. <laughs> but, but guess what? Henry summoned Latimer to come back the following Sunday and to preach before him again. <laughs> and the following Sunday, Hugh Latimer turned up and he stood in the pulpit and he announced his text, Whoremongers and Adulterers, God Will Judge. The same text, the same verse. And as he began his sermon, the second time, he said, Latimer, Latimer, do you remember that you're speaking before the high and mighty king, Henry VIII, who has power to command you to be sent to prison and who can have your head cut off if it pleases him? Will you not take care to say nothing that will offend royal years? And then he paused and continued, Latimer, Latimer, do you not remember that you're speaking before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Before him at whose throne Henry VIII will stand? Before him to whom one day you will have to give account of yourself? Latimer, Latimer, be faithful to your master and declare the whole counsel of God's word. <laughs> they don't make preachers like that anymore, do they? Such boldness, speaking truth to power. That's the kind of preaching we need today, isn't it? Not nice, harmless little homilies designed to tickle people's ears. Not preaching, not, not preaching that is simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. That's why the prayer meeting is so important in our churches. And we, I mustn't get on hobby horses, but as I get older, I jump onto hobby horses all the time. But we have loads of, loads of books and, and, and conferences and uh, uh, seminars about how to preach a better sermon, how to be more interesting, how to be more captivating. My friends, it's not, that's not what we need. We need the Holy Spirit. And we're not going to get that from seminars and from books. We're going to get that by, by getting on our knees in the prayer meeting and pleading that he will come. See, where does it come from? This, this, this authority in his preaching, this power, this conviction, where does it come from? Oh, does he work it up? Is it the illustrations he uses? Is it because he's reading the culture just right? No. I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from heaven, doesn't it? It's what Jesus promised his disciples on the night before he left them. He, he's, he's preparing them for life without him. He's preparing them for life the other side of the cross. And he says to them in John, six, John 16, he says, It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. My friends, the helper has come to us. We're not calling on him for his help. 
What's wrong with us? If I go, he says, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, when he comes, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He'll do it. And that's what's happening here. Paul is speaking truth to power. He's preaching with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. And he reminds this proud, arrogant man who's playing God with people's lives that one day he'd have to face God himself. And death is no escape. People often take comfort in that thought, don't they? When, you, when you're dead, you're dead. <laughs> no, you're not. See what Paul says to this man there back in verse 15, and not only to him, but everybody else in that room, he says there's going to be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. There's going to be a general resurrection at the end of time. It's not true to say when you're dead, you're dead. You cannot escape from the consequences of what you've done in your life to be by dying. That guy who jumped over a cliff just the other day probably thought he was escaping from the consequences of what he'd done. Probably thought this is the way out of not having to face the pain and the punishment and the shame of what I've done. But there's going to be a resurrection and he will be raised from the dead. And he, he will have to live with what he's done. That, that is the worm that never dies. That is the nagging, accusing conscience that will never be silent. Hell is a reality, my friends. That's why the gospel is so relevant. That's why faith in Jesus Christ really, really matters. It's the only way for us to be right with God. There's a day of judgment coming. And if you want to know what the verdict is going to be on that day for you, I can tell you right now, you don't have to wait to find out. John says in his gospel, in John chapter 3, whoever does not believe stands condemned already. So you may be a sermon taster and you might be moved by sermons and you might, you might have heard hundreds and hundreds of sermons in your lifetime, but if you haven't trusted in the one we've been preaching about all these years, well, the verdict will be on that day, you're condemned. You're condemned right now. Because you haven't believed in the name of God's one and only Son. But whoever does believe in him, John says, whoever does believe in him is not condemned but has eternal life. Now that has to be good news, doesn't it? That's the gospel. We've got such good news for people. That's the gospel Paul preached to this man, Felix. That's the way to be saved from the wrath to come. Felix, put your trust in Jesus and you won't have to fear the coming judgment because he's taken it for you. You lack self-control, but he'll change your heart. He'll give you his spirit. You're lacking in righteousness. He'll give you that. He'll take your wrongness and give you his rightness. He'll swap places with you. He'll die the just for the unjust 
to bring us to God. That's the gospel. If Felix had believed that when he heard that from Paul, if he'd put his trust in Jesus, there and then he would have been saved. And he would have known that he was saved. But instead, he put his trust in tomorrow. And tomorrow never comes. Tomorrow never comes. But Jesus is coming. This man, Paul says, remember to the Athenians in Acts 17, this man whom God has raised from the dead is coming again to judge the world in righteousness. So I want to plead with you this morning, if you have not yet put your trust in him, do so here and now. Don't do a Felix. Don't make that fatal mistake. When Paul preached, he trembled. He was convicted of his sin and persuaded of the need to repent and believe, but he never did. He was a hearer of the word. He kept listening to sermons. He kept calling for Paul to explain the way of salvation. He did all these evangelistic Bible studies over and over again. And maybe he even promised himself that one day he would do something about it, but not today. Let's talk about this, he says, at a more convenient time. Who was it that said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? Is that the road you're on? That's the road that Felix is on, isn't it? Don't put off to tomorrow what needs to be done today. I'm reminded of the, the story about Satan brainstorming with his demons about how to get people, how to get more people into hell. And one of them says, well, I know, let's tell them there's no God. Well, that won't do. Satan said, everyone knows there's a God. Okay, says another demon, let's tell them there's no heaven. Well, haven't you been to a funeral recently? <laughs> everyone believes in heaven. Everyone wants to go to heaven, don't they? Oh, let, well, let's tell them there's no hell. Well, that won't work either because everyone's got a conscience and they know that they're going to be judged even though they don't want to admit it to themselves. Eventually, after a long pause, one of the demons put up his hand and he said, well, I know, with your permission, I'll go and tell them there's no hurry. <laughs> Brilliant, says Satan. There's no hurry. Don't fall for it. Don't make that mistake. Don't put off to tomorrow what needs to be done today. Augustine, the great Saint Augustine said this, God has promised forgiveness to your repentance, but he hasn't promised tomorrow to your procrastination. Today, while it is still called today, when you hear his voice, harden not your hearts, stifle not your conscience, that's what Felix was doing, hardening his heart. Hell, writes Hugh Sylvester, is hell is not a jail where prisoners are longing to be free. It's more like a sit-in where the protesters have barricaded themselves in. That's what Felix was doing. Is that what you've been doing? Playing games with your consciences, hardening your hearts under the preaching of the word, barricading yourself in against the grace of God, shutting your ears to the voice of his mercy. What a dangerous thing to do. It's not going to end well. Listen to these words, these lines from Pink Floyd. On, uh, I think it's on the album Dark Side of the Moon. 
some words from these great theologians. <laughs> Ticking away the moments that make up a dull day, you fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way, waiting for someone or something to show you the way. Tired of lying in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain, you're young and life is long and there's time to kill today. And then one day you find ten years have got behind you. No one told you when to run, you missed the starting gun. And you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking. The sun is the same in the relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. Every year is getting shorter, never seem to find the time. And before you know it, the time is gone, the song is over, and there's no more to say. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the way in which you have not left us without a witness, but you send preachers and evangelists, pastors and teachers to proclaim your word. Oh Lord, we, we don't see many people responding. We don't find many people trembling under the preaching of your word. We, we pray, Lord, for a, a genuine uh, coming of the Holy Spirit upon our gatherings. We pray for revival, Lord, in the midst of these years. We pray that even as you are working out your, pouring out your bowls of wrath upon the, upon the planet right now, we pray that in the midst of wrath, you would remember mercy and have mercy, Lord, on, on all those poor people caught up in that dreadful crisis there in the Middle East. Have mercy, Lord, we pray. You are full of mercy. You're full of compassion and kindness. And in, in, in wrath, Lord, remember mercy. And, and we pray that the gospel itself, the preaching of the gospel, there in the Middle East and throughout, around the world, there where, where um, Quentin and his wife and family are, Lord, in all these places, we pray that the, the message of Jesus Christ as the way of salvation might be heard and that people would be brought into that way through faith in him. We ask it. Amen.